Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the 492 uh, 492nd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. You can get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Once a Metro and the rest of the SB Nation family of soccer websites. Come on in. The chat room is open. Talk amongst yourselves. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer the best of my abilities. This is the last show of 2020 season, and we are looking forward to be discussing not just what's going to happen in 2021, as the U.S. soccer competition calendar is going to be jam-packed with competitions left and right, but tomorrow night, Los Angeles Football Club, Tigres of Liga MX are fighting for the CONCACAF Champions League title a one-and-done in Orlando at Explora Stadium. Uh, Cardick, before we talk quick, before we talk about U.S. Soccer's uh, previewing their competition calendar for 2021, what do you say to a club managed by Bob Bradley that has had great players, not only uh, designated players, solid free agents, solid players they probably found locally in Los Angeles, but to be in this position to not only defeat three consecutive Liga MX sides, and the biggest one of all is Tuca Ferretti's Tigres, who are also fighting for that glory as the confederational club champions in this region of the world. And I thought we had Carter Krishnayar on. I guess we're having some phone issues. Uh, Let us try that again. Kardik Krishnar joins us from World Soccer Talk. Kardik, are you there? Let's try that again. Hold on one second. We're going to give him another chance here. I know he's there. He's on my uh, screen. So let's see if we can get him on this way. And, uh, Kardec, I'm trying to call you back here. Let me see. Can you hear me oh, now? there you are. Oh, there I hear you now. Okay, yep. great. Yep. Great. All right. So, um, so Bob Bradley has done a phenomenal job, and I think uh, what you see in this team, and, and this season's MLS season was a little bit odd, obviously. Not a little bit odd, very odd. Very, very difficult to, to develop the continuity and, and the consistency uh, many wanted. There had been some criticisms of LAFC and, and the way they performed in MLS, but what, what a run they're on in the CONCACAF Champions League. Tigres is the big dog. Tuka Ferretti, you mentioned, he's been in these big matches before. He's won them before, including the one match where he stepped in for Mexico, right, as the interim manager and beat the U.S. Uh, exactly. In the CONCACAF Cup. Yeah, so he, he's um, a legendary manager, Brazilian, Brazilian, Mexican, basically Mexican now. Um, he's been there for so long. But uh, this is going to be a, a incredible test 
when you talk about the pedigree of key grips and players like Gignac and others through, uh, through the recent years, you think of Tigres, you think of, uh, of Monterrey, you think of those two clubs in the northern part of Mexico in this era now dominating continental competitions and also dominating kind of the, the Mexican football landscape. They have very much taken the power away from Guadalajara and from Mexico City. Uh, Club America obviously uh, won a title recently, and, and, and <laughs> we know all about controversy in the match the other night uh, against LAFC. But the, the reality of the situation is that you have now a club, uh, you have two clubs in Monterey that are setting the standard and forcing Liga Mekis, the rest of Liga Mekis, the rest of football in, in, in the North American and the CONCACAF region to adjust to them. So if LAFC is able to knock them off, um, LAFC would be setting a new standard, not only for MLS, but I think for this region. And Bob Bradley is arguably the greatest coach ever produced by the United States. He's up there on a very short list with Bruce Arena. Uh, this is men's coaches, of course, because um, obviously Jill Ellis is on the list, and I would say um, uh, Tony DeCicio is on the list. And I would actually also say Anson Dorrance, even though um, he's a college coach, although he, he obviously won a World Cup with the U.S. women also. He's on the list. But uh, Jesse Marsh I would put on the list, and I would put a few others uh, that I think have been very good. At one point, I thought Dom Camille might be on the list, kind of faded of late, right? Uh, Siggy Schmidt's on that yeah. list. Uh, but Bob Bradley might be at the very top of that list. And this is a chance to cement that tomorrow night. So massive, massive match for, uh, for American soccer and for Major League Soccer, and especially for LAFC. And an opportunity, we're seeing this cup format um, in this Cup Champions League this year abbreviated cup format really favoring um, the MLS teams because this is the format that allowed MLS teams in 1998 and in 2000, um, DC United and the LA Galaxy. I want to say DC got to another final also uh, in the old CONCACAF Champions Cup. Uh, this is the format that allowed yeah. them to win the continental competitions, and actually would say, I can't remember which year it was, where both Houston and D.C. lost very close matches in the semifinals of the old CONCACAF Champions Cup. But, um, both D.C. And, 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 and Houston were able to get that far. I think that was 2008, maybe. But um, this, is, this format favors the MLS. It also has MLS teams kind of in the stride of their season, much like uh, um, the same deal with Mexican teams generally in this competition. So, and that was the thing about those, those teams, uh, those seasons. In 98, when D.C. United won, uh, too many people now uh, remember that, D, D, that Chicago beat D.C. United in the MLS Cup final, um, which is Bob Bradley, by the way, beating Bruce Arena. But what Bruce Arena's team did in, yep. in CONCACAF that year was that they were able to run the table and beat Toluca in the final. And then they were able to go um, – to Fort Lauderdale, come to Fort Lauderdale, where I am, and beat um, Vasco da Gama in, in, a, in a, uh, a, a match with uh, the Copa Libertadores champion. So, uh, and that was Bruce Arena's final match as DC United manager before he, he took the And that US was the Inter-American Cup, too. Right, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so from, from, from my perspective, this is a very big opportunity for Major League Soccer. Big opportunity. <laughs> Excuse me. 
big opportunities for sure. the layups. He's not um, – it's not the end of the world if they lose. It's not – hey, MLS is better than Liga MX if they win. Let's keep some, some perspective on it. But it is one of those mm-hmm. building blocks you need to get uh, the lead to the next level and U.S. soccer to the next level. That's very true, and I think that's the one thing we're going to see here. The one thing is this. I don't want to go all the way back to the semifinal match, obviously. We will talk about, oh, excuse me, we will talk about U.S. soccer's um, you know, the main crux of the show tonight, but I want to say this. I was disappointed on how Miguel Herrera and his club America treated this match. I was looking forward to seeing not only him, but Bob Bradley matching wits in this one, wanting to see a well-played match. I wanted to see that, Cardick, and we didn't get it. And we got the typical... Look, I understand you got to play some mind games in this one, and that's fine. I don't mind it, but it, it went over the top, and that's the one thing I don't like. I know some U.S. soccer club, U.S. soccer club, MLS clubs do that too. Everyone does it in this region, but the truth is, is that if you want to show some respect to the game from both sides, you go out there, you play your best. There'll be a little bit of you know gamesmanship and everything. That's fine, but you don't have to go over the top to make it a disaster. Yeah, I was surprised Memo Ochoa behaved the way he did. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that I had a lot Me of respect too. for actually when things had kicked off in a match between Mexico and Panama many, many years ago um, in the Gold Cup. He, uh, he kept his cool, and, and he actually uh, actually was, was the, uh, the gentleman in that situation um, in Houston in, in a match where uh, 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 Javier Aguirre, the then, then uh, Mexican coach, uh, got sent off. Uh, and I do have to say um, – the, 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 the discussion has been very one-sided. I, I have to point out that I was embarrassed as an American with the way Matt, Matt Miazga behaved in the, in the match against Mexico a few years ago, uh, behaving very so much was the same I. way as I think some of these club American players did. So uh, it, it, our guys do it too. Our guys do it less. Um, but I don't want to pretend like some out there have pretended the last 48 hours that our guys never do it and, and their guys always do it. Um, yeah, I think their oh, guys no, do it more not. in that. It, but in that, in that case, Miazga case, I, I was horribly embarrassed by the way he behaved. And actually I was embarrassed The Mexican too. player had been wronged in that situation. So, uh, but yeah, uh, Miguel Herrera in particular has a, has a track record of behaving this way, unfortunately. And um, this is why he got sacked from the Mexico job, by the way. The Federation had enough of him uh, behaving like this. Um, it, it was good for them when they brought him in, because remember, they were rock bottom when they brought him in. They basically... Uh, just, you know, back oh, their way I- I- into a World Cup. Um, and he got them uh, by playing the victim, got them energized, got them excited. They, 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 they played, they should, they played, outplayed Brazil, I think, down there. Uh, they, they got robbed against the Netherlands in the whatever round that was, round the 16. Uh, but then, you yep. know, the, the act got a little old for the, the FMF, and, and uh, they, they, they terminated him. That's why he's back at Club America. He could have been the Mexican national team coach for a very long time, but he couldn't behave himself. And the, so the Federation, um, they, they, they already have had problems with the guy. I don't know if they're going to come down on him again now, the Mexican Federation. Maybe it's not their business, right, because this is a club team and this was in a CONCACAF competition. Exactly. But you know exactly. uh, he's now cost um, with his behavior the Mexican national team. That's why they sacked him. And he's cost um, uh, uh, Club America. Uh, repeatedly, a couple of times in, in the league, too, down there. So uh, 
I think he, he he's a major perpetrator and, and really a guy that's uh, um, I, I, maybe he's going to run his course uh, as a coach. This is why he has never gotten as far as he as he probably should. Although he is a really good manager, that's why it's unfortunate um, to uh, to to see him uh, not match with with Bob Brown. What we got was something totally different. Yeah, exactly. And that's the one thing I was very disappointed in, uh, the behavior from Club America. But once again, uh, we're, not, <laughs> we're not darlings either. So we have to understand that, you know, look, I would have loved to see it, you know, both, both sides cleaned it up. But, you know, it's just, uh, you know, we can't have this continuing to uh, ruin the, uh, you know, this competition or any competition that we have, whether it be club sides from the U.S. and Mexico or the national teams of the U.S. and Mexico. We, we just, it, it has to end. For both sides, it has to end. So let's move now forward. Um, you know, Cardick, I've never seen a calendar so jam-packed with competitions, not just for the men's national team, but also for the youth national teams. If we did not have this pandemic coming into play in 2020, obviously we would have had already Olympic qualifying. We would have already had uh, the Olympics this past summer. That got moved to 2021, obviously. And so you're going to see uh, many tournaments going on we got, as we've already said, Olympic qualifying to get underway with. Uh, the Olympics itself, of course. We have the Under-20 World Cup in FIFA. That's going to be held in Indonesia this coming summer around the end of May, beginning of June. We also have, for the men's side, we have the CONCACAF Nations League semis and final with the U.S. involved. We have the CONCACAF Gold Cup in July. And World Cup qualifying begins for CONCACAF uh, for the final round in CONCACAF 2021 in September, this is going to be very interesting and very intriguing to what Greg Berhalter is going to do with a roster that, you know, he has to make sure he doesn't burn out some of these players. He's got to give certain importance to certain tournaments and certain things to make sure that not only are our side is competitive, but has an ability to reach a final and to hoist a trophy and or qualify for the World Cup in Qatar. Yeah, look, we are seeing guys uh, burn out, I think, in European play. The the fixture congestion uh, in Europe is is ridiculous. Uh, The the top teams are playing every three days. Uh, They went six successive weeks, not including the international breaks, where they played Champions League or Europa League. Uh, and then they, they, they've now, uh, the, the domestic leagues have all these midweek fixtures. Uh, Germany's got uh, 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 two weeks off, which is nice. Uh, they've been able, but remember, they have two less teams in that league. But still, that's all they've got. And um, what I've seen is a lot of our guys already beginning to break down. So I'm concerned. You know, we have um, guys already in our national team program who tend to have some, some injury concerns. Now, the thing that, that's been really good to see is Weston McKinney, with the exception of his COVID concerns, has stayed fit, has been playing at a really high level, and obviously named the men's, uh, U.S. Men's Player of the Year. Uh, I, uh, I thought maybe there was a, uh, a case to be made for Jordan Morris. 
I thought McKinney should get it, by the way. So I'm not saying that he shouldn't have. I, I, I think that clearly he's been the best player this year uh, among American, American men's players. Although I did think there was a case for Jordan Morris. I, I don't know who finished second or there was a second place. But uh, McKinney wanted – he's generally stayed fit. Christian Pulisic has not stayed fit. And this is a, uh, a growing concern, I think, for all of us around the U.S. men's program because it seems like he has recurring um, muscle injuries. You know, these, these, not these injuries that, 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 uh, um, that take you out for months, right? But these injuries that will keep you right. out a few matches. And, and I have to say, quite frankly, at Chelsea, when you've got uh, Hakeem Ziyech, who has some of the same problems, so it seems like Ziyech – uh, and Pulisic were never fit at the same time, which means one of them plays and one of them is hurt. So they haven't actually had to compete yet for the spot. But I, what I was going to say is when you have a, a player like Hakeem Ziyech, you have Kai Havertz, who's been signed for a, a great deal of money, who could play um, a similar similar position. Um, you, don't, you, you, you can't be out of the team for very long and continue to, 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 to get your, uh, uh, your playing time. So that's, uh, that's a concern. Uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, Tyler Adams has had some very good games with Leipzig. He's had some very, very poor games with Leipzig. Um, I, I was happy to see Otisway, uh the young uh, uh, New York City-born uh, uh, Wolves player uh, who, who uh, had a career in modeling, which took him to the U.K. before um, football. Uh, now, uh, football, uh, he's played the last two matches for Wolves in the Premier League. He started today, first Premier League start. He did not play particularly well. Uh, got dispossessed a couple times, picked up a kind of a, a, a silly yellow card. But he's a guy that could help develop some depth now that he's playing for the U.S. team. But Burhalter has to be careful, right? You don't want to burn a lot of these guys. So I think one of the things we can talk about is who are the, who are the core players you always have to have in this team, we saw some really great performances right in the last few uh, national team perform, uh, matches. Uh, I think you obviously have a pretty settled situation um, in, uh, in, 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 in midfield with a lot of guys. Oh, let, let me, before I move on to that, mention that uh, even though he has not played well for the United States, uh, Anthony Robinson is, is really impressing me with Fulham this season. Uh, playing under Scott Parker, who is a very, who is a, a defensive midfielder, so he can kind of teach uh, defensive positioning and stuff to, to a young player like Robinson. Robinson has come into this Fulham team as Parker has shifted the tactics, and he's brought him in as a wing back. He actually played left back in a flat back four uh, the other day against Newcastle, but before that was playing um, wing back in a fi- in a in a five man back line, and. Uh, he has uh, his crossing has improved. His reading of the game has improved. He doesn't give the ball away in, in bad positions. He's actually having a really good season. So the thing that is interesting to me now is Burhalter has called him in a couple times and he's looked terrible for the U.S. team. Maybe you're going to see a different player if Burhalter calls him in in March because this guy now is playing with a run of games in the Premier League and a lot of confidence and. Um, has, has um, I, I wasn't even sure if he was a Premier League level player, quite honestly. I, mean, I, I admit, I base a lot of this on what I've seen with the U.S. and have not been very impressed with him in our national team. Dave Sarakin liked him, so we called him in a bunch of times, but Burhalter has not liked him. But uh, having watched him now with Fulham, 
Um, he's looked very good. I think he's being helped by Timmy Ream being there in that same team with him. Uh, Ream actually started the ma- uh, has started a match recently. He hasn't been starting much, but um, so that's uh, that's important. I think you need to have a settled situation and you need to have a rotation of players because you have one a lot of injury prone players and two you're going to have a lot of tired players. Uh, so the big the, the, before we we move on from this discussion, the players I'm most concerned about from an injury perspective are Pulisic and, um, and, uh, and Adams. Uh, Gio Reyna has been able to go 90 minutes all, all, almost twice a week for Dortmund. Amazing at his age that he's this fit. Uh, there have been no issues with Giovanni Reyna. No injury issues, no issues of performances dropping because of, uh, of fatigue. And, and Dortmund are not playing well, right? They've already fired Lucien Favre, their manager. Uh, but uh, they, they, uh, they're falling way back in the Bundesliga. They're having a bad season, one of the worst seasons they've had in recent memory. But they, uh, uh, Reyna has not shown any sign of drop-off. So the two I'm concerned about, are Pul- in particular, are Pulisic and Adams. Uh, both play well at times. Other times they don't play so well. And in Pulisic's case, case, he's hurt a lot. Um, nagging injuries. In Adams' case, he gets these big kind of two, three-month out injured injuries um, too often also. So that's, uh, that, yeah. those are my concerns. And, and depth is going to be tested this year, no question about it. And so here's the question then. Who from MLS do you give an opportunity uh, to play in some of these, you know, national team uh, games that are going to be on the line. I mean, you know, you might have no choice but to bring back players like Michael Bradley, maybe Josie Altador, maybe some other players that have been on the national team in the past, either many, many years ago or just in recently like Aaron Long. Do you give Kyle Duncan another opportunity? Does Mark McKenzie get an opportunity? Did Chris Mueller, even though it was against El Salvador, did he show enough for – Greg Berhalter to come into a tournament or two to go out there and give someone like, you know, um, you know, maybe, you know, someone a break, someone a rest so that they will be available for possibly either Gold Cup or World Cup qualifying. Or do you turn the Gold Cup, even though it's an important tournament, do you turn this Gold Cup tournament into I'm going to give these guys an opportunity to try and fight for the Gold Cup title? and maybe they can make my World Cup roster. Do you see that happening? Yeah, so I, I think that this is, this is the question, right? With so much World Cup qualifying ahead, you, you probably should do what the other countries have done in the Gold Cup previously. I still think it was a mistake in 2017 for Bruce Arena to play his first team in the Gold Cup. Mexico, uh, everybody else was rotating, right, through their guys. Panama was not playing, their, did not bring their, their, their top team to the Gold Cup. Costa Rica didn't bring their top team. Guess what? Those countries qualified and we didn't, even though we won the Gold Cup, because we put a lot of emphasis on it. I think we thought from a momentum standpoint it was important, but um, in hindsight, I would have much preferred to uh, um, qualify for the World Cup than win that Gold Cup, quite frankly. We should just give Jamaica the trophy and, <laughs> and been done with it. Um, I think some of the MLS guys you mentioned. So um, my short list of MLS guys, uh, first off, Sebastian Leggett is, is fit, and he, he's another guy who's had injury problems ever since he had a car crash when he was a youth player. Remember, now, now like 12 years ago. Um, Leggett is a guy I have on the team. I may even start him. 
if I figure out a way to start him. I, I, I think he's uh, – and look, you can critique his performances with the Galaxy. You can critique his MLS form. I'm just telling you as an international, national team-level player, he has a skill set that a lot of our other guys don't have, and he's also now an older player, more experienced. So I keep him around. Obviously, Jordan Morris got to be in the team. Um, yeah, because I know there's a lot of talk recently that we should just have a, a totally European-based squad. I think most of our guys should come from Europe, but I'm going through a couple of MLS guys I think are, are really critical. Jackson Mule, I think he's got to be in the team. Uh, whether he starts or not, I'm not sure, but I think he's got to be there for depth at the very least at the number six position. You mentioned McKenzie. Uh, I like him. Aaron Long, I, you know, Aaron Long may still be our star, our, one of our starting center backs. Okay, so um, in terms of MLS guys who may actually start, in the goal, uh, in qualifying and in the World Cup next year, Aaron Long may be one of those guys because I don't have any faith in Matt Miazga. Uh, we've had that conversation before. Timmy Ream is older. I mentioned he's still getting some time at times for Fulham, um, but 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 less as the season's gone on. Um, and uh, and Fulham signed a couple of uh, a Torsten Adebayo and uh, another really good center back. So so Ream's not starting anymore. And um, John Brooks is our best best defender, but he's, he's not always fit. So I think Long is important. Uh, Daniel Aronson, although I guess he's, he's moved on from MLS, but he's, he's the guy uh, I keep in the conversation. Uh, uh, you mentioned uh, Chris Mueller. Yeah, he's a player I like. I liked him two years ago when he came out of Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, and was drafted by Orlando. I don't know if he's a World Cup qualifying level player yet, but he's a guy that can give you maybe 10 or 15 minutes off the bench. He could be like the Josh Wolf of this team. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe you take him to, to qualifying. And then I, I, I know this is going to get everyone angry. Daniel, I apologize in advance. And I, and I said in the World Soccer Talk a couple of weeks ago and got everybody angry. Um, I think the IFC Zardis has to be in the team. In fact, he uh, might look, be my I mean, right, nine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, let me just say something about Zardes. Um, maybe if he comes off the bench – as you know, roster depth. I think if he, if he comes off the bench, I think he would fit for this national team if they qualify for the World Cup. Um, I, I mean, I would not poo-poo him for 2021. I think he's important to fill a roster right now, at least to fill a roster spot. And now let me say depth. this also. Let me say this also. Okay, you know, you you talk about. Um, Jurgen Klinsmann, you talk about Bruce Arena, you talk about Greg Berhalter. All three of those guys have very different uh, coaching philosophies, very different tactical philosophies. And in the case of, of Berhalter, a guy who's really system-oriented, uh, more so than, than Arena, who's kind of a pragmatist, more of a man-manager, and, and Klinsmann, who was uh, um, you know, more into kind of stylistic considerations, right? So... Um, one thing those three guys have all agreed on, even though the U.S. fan base seems to disagree with all three of them, is that Zardis is a good player and he should be in the team. I mean, I remember when Klinsman got fired, joking with, uh, with Neil Blackman, like, well, I guess at the end of Zardis' national team career, he'll never get picked again because he's the guy that had become the symbol of the late Klinsman era. Well, lo and behold, Arena picks him. Arena keeps picking him. And then when Arena gets sacked, I remember having the same conversation. With, it wasn't Neil with someone else saying, ah, I guess that's it for Jayati. And, and true, Sarakin didn't seem to like him, and he didn't call him in. Okay, so that was a year, or however long Sarakin was our manager, a year. Um, but then Berhalter comes in, and he starts calling him in. So um, 
these three coaches with, with different worldviews, different philosophies have all agreed on one thing, which is they need this guy in their national team. So for the U.S. fan who continues to not understand what Zardes does, not appreciate his game, has seemed to decide that he's the guy to pick on. And, and I think it started because a lot of the people who didn't like Klinsman decided, okay, Zardes is like a symbol of the Klinsman era, right? You know, he's a guy that's, that, that Klinsman keeps calling in for whatever reason. Um, you know, you're, you're stuck with him, okay? Um, until we have a, 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 a depth in our national team pool like the Netherlands or France or, or Italy, or not even Italy anymore, but Netherlands, France, Spain, then you don't, you don't have to have guys like Zardes in your team. But now you do. A guy that's pacey, a guy that times his runs really well, which is something, by the way, Chris Wondolowski did for years, another player who has been underappreciated by the U.S. pool. And this is, again, why Wando was picked by, uh, by Klinsman. Um, people complained that he was in that, missed that shot in, against uh, uh, Belgium. Um, Belgium. Yeah. Why was he on the yeah? Why was he on the pitch? Because Klinsman trusted Wondolowski to get into the right position to score that goal. Now he didn't score it, but there aren't many players in the U.S. player pool through the years that are smart enough to actually make that run and be in be in that in that, in that place onside in that kind of frenzy to, to to be in position to score that goal. I mean, another guy that was like that back in the day was Roy Wagerly. He was really smart with his positioning, finding space, things like that. So Zardes does that. Zardes is very pacey. And Zardes is also an attacking player who tracks back and defends. I'm going to tell you this. I, I know everyone loves Christian Pulisic. I think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. When you have him on the pitch, he doesn't defend well. His, his, his positioning sense has gotten better since he got to Chelsea. But it's still, you know, there's, there are little things he does where he goes as often matches. You need a guy who's going to track back and work. That's another thing I like about Jordan Morris. But um, – I think Zardes puts a lot of work in. You know, there, there, there are things in his game, obviously, we all wish were better, and the fans point that out all the time. I agree. There's stuff that, you know, there are times he frustrates me. But there is a reason he has continued to be in this team for now, what is it, six or seven years among, under three different managers. So I, I think he's going to be there. And um, the other guy from MLS um, that I would, uh, I, I would look at, as I said, uh, uh, he, the two guys that have moved on are Aronson and Cannon, but I think those two guys have to be in this team. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think I, you know, you, we we need to bring in players. Not only you know do we believe that they are you know young and ready for international tournaments, but at the same time, you're going to have to bring in players that you know you have no choice but to use them because you can't keep using the same players over and over and over. There needs to be at least some form of rest relaxation, that they can go out and do a job. Because let's not forget, Cardick, it's not just league matches that some of these players are playing in in their respective leagues. You also have UEFA Champions League. I mean, I know CONCACAF Champions League will restart again in February, March, April. That's not an issue. But at the same time, it could be an issue if you have under under 23... Sorry. I was just saying UEFA Champions League. UEFA Champions League play. Um, Borussia Dortmund. They moved. They, they moved on to the next round. Um, they have become very dependent on Gio Reyna. Also, he is the guy right now. He is the best American player uh, right now in terms of like 
club level. I, you know what? He's probably not the, the best American player I think right now is Weston McKinney. But what I would say is Reyna yeah. is, the, is, is the player that his club has become the most dependent on, high-level club, Borussia Dortmund. That's right. He, they're more dependent on him now than they ever were on Christian Pulisic. Um, I'm going to tell you, Reyna is playing so many matches. He's so young. He's playing so well consistently, I'm a little concerned he might break down and get injured. So we have to be really selective about when he plays. Because you're right. I'm glad you mentioned UEFA Champions League, especially when it comes to Gio Reyna. Um, I'm worried. Oh, yeah. I think he knows how to take care of himself, but he's only 18, right? He's not, uh, uh, right. He's, not, he's, he's not really been through this. And no player has been through a kind of qualifying cycle like we're going to have now. Because, um, so so in, the, in the case of a guy like Gio Reyna, I think this is where Gregor Berhalter makes the decision. He's like, okay, I'm going to give Gio Reyna the summer off other than the qualifiers. I'm not going to take him to the Gold Cup. Maybe the same thing for Christian Pulisic. Maybe same thing for Weston McKinney, although, you know, it's hard to see um, the U.S. midfield working if you don't have McKinney or Adams, right? You, could, you, could, you can see, go with Yule and one or the other, but I think you're going to need either Adams or McKinney. So that's where the decision comes in. Um, you can't give them all the summer off. So do you give Adams the summer off or do you give McKinney the summer off? I guess it really depends on their teams in Champions League, right? Leipzig is advanced to the next round. McKinney and Juventus, you know, they could win the whole thing. So maybe he's going to just be worn down by June, by the time June rolls around. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing I was trying to say is because, you know, look, as you said, Reyna has been so dependent by, you know, Dortmund to go out there and dominate every match in, match out for the Bundesliga, for, uh, you know, the Champions League. The only way that Reyna is able to survive through Champions League, depending on, you know, if he, if they don't go all the way, if they meet up, let's say for the hell of it, let's say it's Bayern Dortmund. You know how that is. You, let's say for the hell of it, yeah. it's Leipzig and Dortmund or Leipzig and Bayern. You know, you might have Tyler Rams eliminated. You might have Giovanni Reyna eliminated. Uh, not saying I want that to happen, but, you know, when you're thinking about the national team and you're thinking about you've got so many competitions. Okay, Nations League, it's only two matches depending on if you win your semifinal matchup. Uh, and then you've got the Gold Cup in the summer. And then you've got World Cup qualifying, which is going to be now. It's not even going to be a, a, a marathon. It's going to be a sprint. This is going to be yeah. now a big, big sprint. And we'll get to World Cup qualifying in a moment, but you've seen the schedule and how it's been compacted now. Forget it. You need to give Reyna the time to relax and rest up. And I think this is, this is what I think that should happen, in my opinion. If you're going to have Giovanni Reyna in two out of the three competitions for him to be a part of something, this is what I would do. I would give him the summer off for the Gold Cup. I'd have him perform in the Nations League at uh, semis. And then I have him in World Cup qualifying. I think that's the smartest move you can do. Weston McKenney, that's yeah. an if or. You know, that's an and. You yeah. know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you have him ready for Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying, but you don't put him into the Nations League because you, you don't know what Juventus is going to do in the Champions League. You know, who knows? Maybe they get eliminated in the round of 16, depending on who they get drawn with. Maybe they get eliminated uh, further down in the quarters or in the semis. You don't know what's going to happen with some of these national teams. Uh, you know, too bad we can't talk about Jesse Marsh going to the Europa League, but you know what, though? No. We wish him the best there. <laughs> you know, the, one thing, the one thing I want to point out really quickly is, yeah, and obviously they had a shot, and they, they played pretty well in that game against Atleti. Um, 
Gio Reyna has been forced to take on a, a, a bigger load the last few weeks because Erling Haaland has been injured. Now, when Haaland gets back, I think Reyna falls back into his like natural position as kind of the supporting, uh, supporting striker or supporting attacking midfielder, depending on the formation they play. I mean, the formation they played under Favre uh, allowed uh, Reyna to sit behind uh, uh, Haaland and maybe a, a little bit, uh, ahead of where Marco Royce was playing and, and feed Haaland. Uh, now with Haaland out, Reyna is now, instead of you know, looking to set up Haaland uh, in the area, he's had to be the guy to try and score goals. So I think when Haaland gets back, it's going to really help uh, Reyna. It's going to really help Dortmund, obviously. I mean, Haaland's one of the top 10 players in the world, right? And he, since he's gotten hurt, it, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing as an American to see Dortmund has then turned to this American and said, okay, you carry us with our main guy out. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of burden to carry. And then in the case of Weston McKinney, um, he's just too good right now, right? You don't want to go into competition without yeah. him, but this is where it comes back to, Daniel. Is the Gold Cup really that important that you would you would have McKinney play seven games and, and wear down? I mean, Juventus may have a thing to say about that, too. They might just tell Berhalter, look, you know, for the sake of the player, let's let's work this out. You know, we, we, we probably, they're in the Serie they'll be in the Serie A title race. Um, they're going to be, they're going to go deep in Champions League. I mean, do, do you really, do you, is the Gold Cup really that important? And I think Berhalter might be more practical um, than Arena was in 2017. And again, I think Bruce Arena um, um, pushing the U.S. to win that Gold Cup, uh, it was, really, you know, kind of embarrassing given that everybody else was playing their B teams. We celebrated like it was some sort of great triumph. And then uh, uh, promptly the next four matches in World Cup qualifying, uh, what we get? We got the one win against, uh, did we get a win? Maybe we didn't. Actually, uh, we played, oh yeah, we beat Panama, right? In the, I mean, it's, yeah. we, we forget the Panama game in Orlando now because it was followed up by the uh, the performance in, in, in Cueva. But in Trinidad, uh, obviously yeah. we had the, yeah, we had the, the, the horrible performance against uh, uh, at Red Bull Arena against Costa Rica, uh, a, a match where we were rightly beaten. And then we went down to Honduras a couple of days later. I mean, the thing was, after we played so badly against Costa Rica, um, this is what is this is going to test Burhalter. Okay, can Burhalter pick up our team um, when we when we have these poor performances? Because the thing that Bob Bradley did so well as the U.S. manager is when the U.S. would have a poor performance in qualifying or would have a poor half, he would make a tactical change, he would do something to get a response. What we saw happen under Klinsman at the end was these things would snowball. The U.S. would play poorly in matches, and then the next match they would play poorly again, uh, and that culminated with the Jamaica loss in, in the Gold Cup. We, uh, we saw the Copa America where um, – you know, they, they really there were some there there were some good moments, but there were some really bad moments, and they would snowball. And then under Arena, I really thought, and I think we we had a post match show that night. I thought after, and you were at the match yep. after we had gotten humiliated at home by Costa Rica, it would be like, okay, you know what, Costa Rica is better than us right now because they were better than us at that point. I mean, I still think we should have gotten something at home against them, but they, they had the better players, they had the better team. We're going to play Honduras, who we are better than. So we'll respond. It's a couple of days. We'll get on the plane. We'll work it out. Well, no, we didn't. We needed a late equalizer no. from Bobby Wood to, 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 That's to, right. to, to level that match, to get a point. So the point, Daniel, yeah. is this is going to be what Tess Berhalter, 
you, you we will probably have some performances like that Costa Rica match. Um, what does he do after? What does he do with the next match day? Because um, this year it's almost going to be like a club team. There are going to be so many matches. The U.S. could potentially, oh, yeah. um, the U.S. could potentially play like twenty competitive matches this year, which is like half a club season basically, or or a little more depending on the league you're in. So um, he's going to have to really be able to pick up these guys if something goes wrong, and that's the other thing I'm a little concerned about. Um, I don't know what his coaching pedigree is on that. I'm not saying he's bad at it, but we just don't know. We haven't seen. We haven't seen, since you mentioned Jesse Marsh, we haven't seen the way we have seen the last two Champions Leagues, even though they've been eliminated because they've been tough groups. Uh, They've been groups with Liverpool last season, Liverpool and Napoli last season. I mean, really tough group. And then this season with – with Atleti and Bayern, I mean, come on. I mean, these are, Bayern is the best team in the world, and Atleti is, is not far behind. They're reading, leading La Liga right now. So, um, you, you know, you're, you're, you're in groups with those teams. Jesse Marsh has been able, even after his team would ship three or four goals in a match, to get to his players, and they turn around and they give a performance a week later. I don't know that Greg Berhalter has that in him, which, again, I've said, and I know I apologize, I've said since Jesse got passed over for the job, I wasn't going to harp on it. I know it's been two and a half years, and it sounds like I'm still harping on it. But he's shown what he can do at the highest level, at the UEFA Champions League level. Can Greg Berhalter do that when things go wrong for us um, in qualifying? That's a big question. That is a big question, Mark. And listen, I think at at this point in time, you know, we've already accepted that, it is Greg Berhalter leading this national team, and that's fine. We've already accepted it. But the truth is, this is, even though it's an unusual uh, cycle with the coronavirus situation, with the pandemic, I mean, this time, you know, this is going to be a real test. This will be a real, real test for Greg Berhalter, not just because of the roster choices he has to make for each three, you know, competitions at the same time, you know, you can have multiple rosters for World Cup qualifying. But once again, as I've said, and you said this as well, Greg Berhalter really now has to prove himself in a strange situation that we've been all under and he needs to go out there and he needs to make sure. I'm not saying he's got to make the, net, the, 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 the fans happy that they're going to do fantastic, but at the same time, he really has to manage the minutes. He really has to manage the minutes now because you cannot burn out any of these players because, fine, you know, September of 2021, it's three. October, three. You get a break in November because it's just two, but then you you get Christmas off. But still, though, January and March of 2022, you get three matches again in a span of three months. I should say six matches in a span of three months because it's January and March and you don't know what's going to happen because if you look at the schedule right now, and fine, we'll get to it right now. In September, we don't have the official dates yet. They'll be at the winner of whoever wins in the second round of the, of the winners of group uh, A and F. Uh, then they host the group winners of B and E in the second round. Then they travel to Honduras. Then October comes. They host Jamaica. They go on the road to the group winner of C and D in the second round. Then they host Costa Rica, end of October. November will be USA-Mexico, and 10-1, that'll be at the new Columbus Crew Stadium in downtown Columbus, which I think will be a massive new 
uh, home field advantage because Crew Stadium is no longer going to be around now. And then you go to Jamaica uh, in the second November competition match. And that's already, how many matches in already? Two, four, six, seven, eight matches in. And then you're going to have at least six left. You're going to have to go to Honduras. You're going to have to, uh, I'm sorry, you, you host Honduras. You go to Mexico. You go to Costa Rica. And then whoever the winners of B&E, uh, you will be at. And then you're going to host the winner of C&D, uh, wherever it's going to be at. And that's January and March. And let's not also forget, you also have to host the AF group winner in the second round uh, in January. So you have four, six games remaining where the majority of it is going to be all in 2021. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is going to really test um, uh, the players. Now, the assumption is we're back to a normal calendar in Europe next season uh, in terms of, uh, um, although we're not. Because the, the, the thing that people are forgetting is because of the Cutter World Cup being in the middle of winter, uh, all of the leagues in Europe are going to have to start their 2022-23 seasons earlier, um, which means guys are not really going to get a summer break after their seasons, although the season will be spread out uh, accordingly. But when you're talking about three fixture dates, three, uh, and I saw how this worked in Europe with the Nations League this, in, in, in uh, October and November, um, in fact, you know, speaking of Neil Blackman, funny story, you know, he and I uh, were both working uh, together on the Biden campaign, and there was a meeting we were at, and I got an alert on my phone, like, England versus Denmark is kicking off, and I turned to Neil, I'm like, how is that possible? They just played, they've already played twice in this break. I had, because I was not really paying attention uh, because of the, the campaign, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's what they're doing, and that's what we're going to do in CONCACAF next year. So I then got prepared for it, and then in November saw how it played out. Like teams were rotating their squad. We saw that when we played Wales, actually, right? That was in November. Um, yeah. Wales didn't play their normal team against us because they had two other games in that. Uh, I think they had already played one, right? And then they played us, and then they had another one, so uh-huh. they, which were qualifiers. So they just, you know, or, or Nations League. So they, they, they played their B team against us. I don't know how this is going to work out because I think what will end up happening will be like a World Cup where, um, and but there's tra- travel in between too, unlike a World Cup uh, where you're traveling within one country. Um, although some of this can be pretty great, I guess we know the World Cup, but um, you are going, if you're Greg Berhalter, you're going to have to say, okay, I want to play. Now, obviously you try and be a tactician, for the opposition, although Burhalter is less that, right? Burhalter is a style guy. He's more of a process guy, right? He has a, he has a set way of playing and, and, and plugs the yeah. guys in. And as we talked about before, um, Serginio Guest in particular, because he's uh, grown up in that Ajax system, understands what Burhalter wants of him. But there are going to have to be decisions made about rotating the squad. And do we have the depth to go with a full rotation where you play um, – you know, maybe the goalkeeper doesn't change, but uh, well, that could too. But uh, do you do you are we comfortable enough to be able to rotate our midfielders, um, particularly our central midfielders who are going to do a lot of running, and our fullbacks in, in every match? So basically, you go with Guest um, and Cannon. And by the way, I should mention DeAndre Edwin got his first start of the Premier League season 
um, in that match the other day. It was actually, you know, on the same side of the pitch as Robinson. They were marking each other. It's kind of interesting. Uh, but, you know, what I'm saying is, you have to go with guests in one match, Cannon in the next, and then Depth in the next, because the games are too condensed. And then, let's say, similarly, um, in central midfield, you go Yule one match, you go a Yule-Adams combo, and then you make it Yule-McKinney. Uh, oh, no, you make it McKinney-Adams. Well, then those guys would play two straight games. Well, you know what I'm saying, right? It, it gets complicated. When you, start, when you start thinking about this, you need a lot more depth than you normally would. So... The question for Greg Berhalter is, does he come up with a rotation like a lot of club managers do, which basically they rotate these guys in during midweek matches or they rotate them in uh, in terms of Champions League or Europa League or whatever other competition they're in? Or is he just going to say, look, I'm going to have to ride my best guys um, every match. And then you have injuries that pop up. So this is why potentially um, a guy like Yunus Musse if, if, he, if, if he decided to, to commit to the U.S., that would be amazing. I'm not counting on it. I, think he's, I still think he'd probably play for England. But if he can, commits to us, that gives you another really competent attacking player that maybe you can spell uh, Gio Reyna with. Uh, I, I'm telling you, out in wide areas, uh, I think it's very important to keep Jaya Cizardis, uh, Sebastian Leggett, and, uh, and Leggett can play multiple places, obviously, and Jordan Morris in, in the conversation for this reason. Um, I also think as we talked about earlier, Aaron Long comes into consideration because you're going to need to rotate through your, through your defenders. Although I think more importantly that your, your fullbacks are going to have to be rotated. So I mentioned Anthony Robinson a lot tonight. He would be part of rotation with guests potentially on the left side or uh, whoever else you put on the left side, Reggie Cannon, obviously on the right side. Uh, we talked about DeAndre Yedlin. Now, is this a, is this a case where uh, you then put Tyler Adams there? and you have to rotate through him on, at, at right back. I, I don't like that idea, um, but let's see how it shakes out. Let's see who's fit, because I think um, playing three matches in, in – so we're playing three matches in both uh, January, uh, January and uh, uh, March, and then we're playing three matches, right, uh, I think September, October, November. No, no, November is two. So September, October, you're going to have this problem. Um, so we're going to see. We're going to know in, in, in 2021. Um, not only, don't even worry till those last two dates in 2022. We're going to know in 2021 if, if, if Berhalter can manage this and if our squad is really deep enough. Um, and, again, you know, I've talked a lot about the guys who get hurt a lot in our pool. Leggett is hurt a lot. Pulisic is hurt a lot. Adams is hurt a lot. We have uh, Timmy Weah is hurt all the time. Uh, we haven't talked about him yet, but he, he, he uh, and I really haven't talked about him because he's always injured and, and he's very, he's yeah. been very inconsistent at times in, in his club play. So th- there are a lot of guys that, uh, you know, we, that, like I said, uh, the young man at, at Wolves who started today, he, uh, he may need to get some games because we need to develop that depth. Uh, he's an attacking player, you know, in the second half of the match against Chelsea, Last week, he looked really good coming off the bench, making kind of uh, deep runs from midfield, the sort of things we used to see Michael Bradley do with the U.S. national team. Then today, he started that match against Burnley and, and was very poor. I, I think maybe he's a 30-minute player, not a, not a 60- or 90-minute player. But maybe we only need him for 30 minutes at the national team level at this point because we've got enough good attacking players. It's just a matter of, uh, of whether uh, – you know, how you rotate. And this is where a guy like Chris Mueller, Mueller comes in. Um, because I think he is not never going to be a 90-minute player. 
uh, for the U.S. men's national team, but I think he could be a very good 15 to 20-minute player late in matches, particularly when defense, defenses are tired, given um, the, the fact that we're playing so many matches and the assumption is we're going to have three substitutions. Uh, although I don't know that. Yeah, sure probably. So. UEFA has, yeah, UEFA has used five substitutions in some Nations League matches. But um, I think UEFA's plan is to revert the three substitutions for the Euros. And obviously the Euros are going to come before we start this, this qualifying. So uh, we'll see. But it's going to be a challenging year. No, it will be a challenging year. And, of course, this is the one question I think is on our minds right now. Is, is Josh Sargent going to be used in one of these yeah. tournaments? I mean, I'd like to think that, you know, being in Germany right now, I mean, he's getting the playing time. He's been able to get minutes, yeah. uh, whether he starts or comes off the bench. Will Greg Berhalter use Josh Sargent? Because the truth is, is this: sooner or sooner than later, he's got to use he's got to use Sargent. He's got to give him a, a real opportunity to be thrown into the wolves to see if he can handle himself, which I think he can. I mean, you're playing in the Bundesliga. I mean, it's one of the most toughest leagues in all the world, yeah. especially in you you know with, yeah. with the big four in Europe. He's got to get yeah, used sometime soon on that. That's my opinion. But, yeah, yeah, I think it's the best league. I mean, I think it's slightly ahead of the Premier League in La Liga right now. The problem with Sargent, and it is, to me, the best league in the world, so it also means I probably watch more of it than any other league. Although I think maybe I watch a little more Premier League. But um, I've watched a fair amount of Werder Bremen this year. I love Josh Sargent. He does everything well except score goals. So he, his movement is great. He finds space. This is why he keeps playing, even though he's not scoring goals. I mean, they keep, they keep, he starts about half the matches. The other matches, he, he plays in every single match, basically. He's one of the subs if he doesn't start, and he starts about half the matches. So uh, the coaches are really high on him, but he, he, is, he has become more a provider or a guy that, that draws defenders to allow other guys to score. He doesn't actually score many that's goals That's not a bad himself, thing. But, well, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing, but I'm pointing it out. And in fact, I think that's the thing the U.S. needs. I'm pointing it out because there are these Americans, these fans of the U.S. men's national team who think everybody who's a striker should score a bunch of goals, and if they don't, they're not very good. You know, we've heard this before uh, about guys. So, um, yeah, I, 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 obviously Sargent has got to be in this team. I mean, again, he's starting. He plays in every Bundesliga game. I think it's the best league in the world. Others will say it's the second or third best league. Whatever. It's one of the top three, three or four leagues in the world. Um, and, he, and he's playing every match. So it's not like we have 100 of those guys in the U.S. We have a handful of them, and he's one of them. So, yeah, he's in the team. Um, I don't know if he starts, uh, but he certainly plays. I think he probably should start. Um, and he will open the field up. He will open the pitch up for Gio Reyna to make runs. You know, he'll draw defenders. He can turn provider. So if you play Gio Reyna as your 10, you play Sargent as your 9, and you've got on, in wide areas uh, – well, actually, I guess uh, Berhalter will want to play 4 3 3 so you'll have Pulisic further forward and then whoever we're starting on the right side uh, of, of the attack. But Sargent should be your focal point. And then it might be Zardes on the right, actually. Uh, although we saw Pulisic actually start on the right today for Chelsea against West Ham, which was kind of uh, surprising to see. As I mentioned, Hakeem Ziyech, um, who, who's a right-sided player, uh, is injured. So he, uh, Lampard started Werner on the left. Um, 
Lampard uh, on the right and, and Mason Mount as the number 10. But, you know, Pulisic, I guess, could, is more of a left-sided player. And he, he, even for Chelsea, he generally played on the left. So I would expect him to play on the left. I think Sargent actually is a good foil for Pulisic and, 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 uh, and Reina and the kinds of games they have. And uh, I have to tell you, the other thing we're seeing in Serie A this year and Champions League is Weston McKinney turned into a goal scorer. Oh, yeah. Or a guy that, that, Absolutely. that creates. So, um, look, I mean, you, you, the, 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 uh, the question now is, do you have to play McKinney further forward? And you know, that's a tough question, him. isn't it? I, I, that, yeah. That's a tough question, isn't it? Because, you know, the way Weston McKinney has really developed his talents at Juventus, has been amazing to watch. You can have him as a goal scorer. You could have him as a you know box to box midfielder. You could have him as a creative midfielder. I mean, you know, wherever you put McKenny is not a wrong answer. Yeah, and, and I think uh, uh, Pirlo is managing them. I mean, what a great guy to learn from. Um, I think Pirlo exactly. sees a lot of himself in McKinney, uh, and and so Pirlo is giving McKinney a freer role, a more Pirlo esque role, if you will. Now, we had always fancied Michael Bradley as kind of our Pirlo in the U.S. And in fact, I use, I, I, it's not uh, an example I make up because I do know uh, uh, Bob, Bob and Michael, Bob Bradley, uh, you know, the Milan fans and, and had a great admiration of Pirlo's game. And I think Michael tried to model his game after, after Pirlo. But it never quite worked in the U.S. team because the players around Michael weren't good enough. Uh, I'll continue to defend no. Michael Bradley. You know that. So, uh, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but um, you can keep the I think all you want. McKinney, yeah, McKinney has the same 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 skill set, and he has better players around him. So I think he is actually, and now he's learning from Pirlo directly, he's playing for Pirlo. So he's going to be that guy that can make those runs, but also can play nice little tidy passes between the lines. Um, that's uh, look, there's a value to a guy. That's a, that, that can help us recycle the ball also. This is what uh, I have, I've had a lot of criticism of Jurgen Klinsmann, but one thing I will praise him for is I think he saw that in Kyle Beckerman, which is a player that obviously Bruce Marina and Bob Bradley had not liked in the past. Um, he saw that in Beckerman and saw that as useful for a team that he wanted to keep possession. Now, we didn't have the players to actually play that way, and Beckerman ended up being a liability defensively. I know all that stuff, right? Having him in front of the back four was a little bit of a – it gave Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones more to do, really, But um, on that side of the ball. But in terms of, uh, I think, keeping possession, Beckerman was the right guy. You need players like that in your team, and I think – Burhalter sees Jackson Mueller as that guy. Um, so yeah. it's possible uh, you're going to see a lot more of Mueller. I think this is going to be a primarily European-based team, as we talked about. But I think the, the MLS-based players you're going to see a lot of in qualifying are Yule, Zardes, and Morris, but especially Yule. I think you're going to see more of him than any other MLS-based player. See, once again, and I'm not disagreeing with you about Michael. I, I think Michael is that type of player. And once again, it's probably on the national team uh, that he can't do those things uh, with, with some of the players that we have because, you know, those players that we have are not in MLS at the moment. But the point I always make about Michael is this. I, I just don't like him as a 
basically you're taking out the sweeper every time Michael Bradley is in the starting 11. And I really don't believe that's his position. To go from a deep midfield role to bring the ball up. He does not have the speed, nor does he have the leg work to be part of the attack and then running back to become a defensive yeah. player. I know he does his best. I know he does his best. And I'm not, I'm not complaining about his will to play that position. I just don't think defensively that he is that type of player that has to be there. He has to remain I, I on the attack. This is a national team. I would tend to agree with that, and I think um, Klinsman recognized that. Well, actually, I think his dad recognized that, which is why initially you had uh, combinations of him playing with either Benny Feilhaber, who could recycle the ball, or him playing with Ricardo Clark, who could take Ricardo Clark and Maurice Adu, who could uh, gain possession of the ball. Um, and then at times you saw Sasha Kleisman in there, who was also a guy that you know had a, had a, had a a skill set similar to Filehaber, but was even kind of slower. Um, so this is why Klinsman brought Beckerman into the team, because he thought Beckerman would be a guy that could, could, could do the passing so that Bradley wouldn't have to bring the ball up uh, to retrieve it that, that deep. However, Beckerman wasn't good defensively, so Bradley had to come back to try and win the ball anyway um, after Jermaine Jones. And I think... Uh, Look, I, I think still, if you look back, that three-man midfield of, of, um, of Beckerman, Jones, and, and, and Bradley was pretty good, right? Um, yeah. They were really good in 2014. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, taking it to, to the present time, if you think of uh, Jackson Yule as kind of your Beckerman, and then you've got, obviously, we've made the McKinney-Bradley comparison, and then you've got Tyler Adams. Uh, who can do a lot of really good things and read the game, really intelligent. Like Jermaine Jones didn't get enough credit for being intelligent about his positioning. Um, you have the, the semblance of a very strong midfield. The problem is, are we going to continue to think you have to use Tyler Adams in some sort of other position as a right back or as um, uh, so a, a, a wide player? No, a light, wide midfielder. Actually, I actually, actually in Burhalter's formation, there is no that, that that position doesn't exist. So actually, yeah, he might he might play end up playing where we where we uh, think he should be playing. We really don't know because Adams has been hurt a lot uh, again uh, for a lot of Greg Burhalter's tenure. Adams has been injured, and um, yeah. the one tournament Greg Burhalter has managed in, Adams was injured for as well. So. Uh, we don't know what he fancies in the match, but the way he, he lines up formation-wise, it's not like Clinton who changed his formation every match, and, and the players would get confused. And there was the one match where it was actually, I mentioned Jones and Bradley, where they both went to Clinton after 25 minutes and were like, hey, we need to change this. <laughs> they didn't wait till halftime. Like, what, what, what is this formation we've never played before that you've thrown us in? But um, I think it might have been a 3-5-2 in that particular match. Um, but that's the question. And then, obviously, up top, you're looking at Sargent as your nine. You're looking at Pulisic wide. And then you're looking at, you know, maybe you start – I think Giovanni Reina has to be centrally uh, – has to be deployed centrally. So maybe then that leaves you with Adams, McKinney, uh, Reina as your midfield. That doesn't seem terribly balanced. Someone's going to have to be there to win the ball. Um, but in CONCACAF, maybe it doesn't matter. 
Maybe it's something you, you're concerned about when you get to a World Cup. Although, I have to be honest, you know, if you look at Greg Berhalter's Columbus teams, they didn't really have a very defensive-oriented midfielder, right? I mean, they've had some guys. Uh, the names are escaping me right now, but I, I had a name in mind, a player I could picture in mind from Columbus that, that flanked Will Trapp. Who am I thinking of? Um, yeah, Justin Miram, who did some of that work. But, yeah. Um, but not really. You know, he's not big on – he's big on possession. He's big on, 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 on movement and, and this sort of stuff. And you even see at times in, in Burhalter's system, the fullbacks come inside. You know, that would be Guest and that would be whoever's on the left side. You know, as I said, it could be Robinson. It could be, it could be someone else. I mean, Reggie Canning can play out there. Um, so we'll see. And then the other – the other yeah. big mystery is a question about um, whether or not uh, playing in this sort of system, uh, you're going to need to have uh, cover if your fullback's bomb forward. Because that's a concern I have, that if you don't have a strong ball winner in midfield, and again, Tyler Adams can do that, but I don't know that that's, that, that's the thing he's best at. Um, and you have your fullbacks bombing forward. I, I, I think it could be, um, it, 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 it could be really a, a concern in terms of um, how susceptible you become on the counterattack. Because if there's one thing we've learned from the last five years, um, following the 2014 World Cup, it's that the U.S. can be undone very easily by a bad giveaway or, 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 or defensive error because there just isn't the, uh, there, there just isn't the, um, the toughness in central midfield or in central defense. I mean, in central defense, I guess there is one really good player in, in John Brooks, but whoever the other uh, 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 center back is, whether it's Miazga or Reen or, uh, or, or Aaron Long or, or you know, whoever it is, they, they're, 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 there's always a mistake in that player. Um, so the question is, if, 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 if you're, even if you're, you're possessing the ball 60, 65, 70% of the, of the matches, match, which might happen in some of these contra-cap matches, because I think the U.S. now has enough really good technical players. And if we happen to get Mousse to commit to us instead of England, then we're going to have one of the really incredible technical players. Guy, the guy that's doing a great job for Valencia. Just saw him against uh, uh, Barcelona the other day. Had, had a good game. Um, but if you still are going to need somebody who can break up a counterattack. Uh, and I'm not sure we yeah. have that guy. That would be Jermaine Jones. Do we have that guy right now? Uh, that would have been before no. Jermaine Jones. You know, at one time it would have been Chris Armis or Pablo Mastroeni, but I don't think we have Enrico Clark. I don't think we have any of those guys now. That's the problem. No, we don't. I see. I, I, that's the one thing we need. You need a destroyer in midfield to stop. Yeah. Uh, an attacking run by the opposition. You need someone to go out there to, you know, and I, I, the truth is, is this. I know he's more uh, up top than in the midfield, but you never know if he does come back and play a little bit of defense. The only one I can think of at the moment that would come close, not completely close, but barely close, would be Paul Ariola. I think if you put Paul Ariola in a midfield role, <clears throat> you can still have him up top if you want, or yeah, no, as a flank player. Show, Daniel. 
that's, that's a good, uh, that's I a would, good I would have yeah, Paul Ariola stop those attacking runs, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Just, I, I think, look, this is a mistake Arena made um, in, in – uh, I didn't think Ariola was the right guy to do that. He got a lot of criticism uh, after we didn't qualify in 2017. The wrong guy was Darlington Andy. Darlington Andy never should have been on that pitch um, in, in, in Cueva. Okay, I mean, I think you start, start Dax McCarty or you start uh, Badoya, you get out of there, right? So I, uh, I think Ariola might be that guy. And you have to be very tactical about it. You know, Maurice Adu was another guy. I forgot the list, the long list of guys. Richie Williams could do that job. Uh, we don't have that player right now. So that's, that's the concern. Um, look, a lot of people criticized Jermaine Jones when he was playing and then turned around a year or two after he was done and said, oh, yeah, now I see what he did. We missed that guy. We need that guy. Yeah, we haven't, we, we haven't developed a replacement for him. So, um, and I think you're right. It might have to be a guy like an Areola. Or, you know, you really have to hope that there's someone on the horizon that develops an MLS this year um, that might be able to do that job. Look, we have a, um, a guy that I know um, Arena had hoped could do the job. Uh, Klinsman had first hoped, and then, uh, then actually Dave Saracen brought him back for a game with, with Danny Williams, and he never developed. Um, now, could Alfredo Morales do some of that? Yeah, but they've been relegated now, and, and, and he's uh, – I, I don't know how he's playing in Bundesliga too, but, um, you know, he's had some, some poor games with the U.S. So, I, I, you need to get that – find that player, and I'm not sure who that is. Now, that player might appear. You know, or, or maybe you keep the ball so much, and, and uh, you're, you're not – you're not taking risks with some, some, some of these passes that you, you don't get undone that easily. But I, I just, the way the U.S. has passed the ball around the back, some of the mistakes they've made when playing Mexico, especially, we've seen it, right? Um, you have to think it's going to happen. Um, and then the other, I think, overriding concern, um, we're talking about how great all these field players are. I am not convinced we have a, a, a grade-A goalkeeper right now. Um, so that's, uh, that to me is a concern. You know, I, I still think um, in terms of overall quality of keeper, um, I, I just don't really like the guys in our pool. I, I still felt like uh, in 20, 2018 and 2019, uh, as everyone's anointing Zach Steffen, that Brad Guzan was our best goalkeeper. Now, we're not going to have – he's on 37 now, right? 30, he'll be 37 next month so or a couple months. Uh, he, he's, not, he's not in the picture. Um, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in, in, uh, in, in uh, Zach Steffen. Ethan Horvath uh, has been playing well, but he recently lost his starting job at Bruges, um, which is unfortunate because he, he's competing with another really high-end keeper in Simone Mignolet, right? Obviously, keeper – starting keeper for Liverpool for several years. So, um, you know, maybe he needs to get to another club, right, where he's going to start um, consistently. I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned about our goalkeeper situation. And, um, look, I think Stefan is very good with his feet, which is why uh, Burhalter likes him, why Pep Guardiola likes him. He's at Manchester City. I haven't been terribly convinced by him as a, as a uh, 
guy who can read play coming to him, towards him, read crosses, um, et cetera. I mean, certainly um, we knew the post-Tim Howard era was going to be tough for the U.S. in terms of keepers, and uh, we don't have – I mean, I, I think back, we even had guys like Eugene Summer and Ian Foyer and uh, players like that, Marcus Hahnemann, further down kind of the depth of uh, Johnny Walker was a guy I liked, right? We had a lot of good keepers that didn't even get many national yep. team looks because we had so many good keepers at one time. Uh, Zach Thornton's another one. I think he got, he got a couple of caps. But um, uh, now I don't even think we have guys at that level. So um, I don't know. I mean, I'm concerned about the goalkeeper position and, and maybe the key is for Horvath to get to a club where he's going to play more regularly um, in the summer. Yeah. Because that's the thing about Zach Steffen. I mean, look, I anointed him as the future goalkeeper of the men's national team. But if he's not going to get proper minutes uh, in goal for Man City, then why the hell is he still there? He's got to ask for a loan. At least go to a club in the lower levels of the English leagues in, the, in, in England to get the proper minutes. A club that's begging for a, you know, a goalkeeper who well, has an opportunity with a national team. Well, it's not just that. I mean, he, he will start tomorrow in the League Cup uh, uh, quarterfinal against Arsenal. He'll probably get all the cup matches. The problem is I don't know that Stefan reads the game as well, you know, in front of him when, when, when play's coming towards him, as, as well as I'd like and to see a yeah. U.S. keeper do it. And I, so that, that's not going to be fixed by him just getting more playing time. I just think there's some deficiencies in his game. Now, Given the way Burhalter wants to play, which is to build from the back with guy, you know, his feet and, and sweeper keeper type, uh, yeah, he's the right guy. He's the right guy for the system. I don't know if he'd be the right guy if we were playing another system. Um, you know, Horvath is a guy I, I actually kind of rate higher as a keeper, uh, but again, now he's not playing either. Um, and and unlike uh, unlike Manchester City. Club Bruce doesn't have all these extra cup matches. So uh, what, uh, what will end up happening is if Man City win tomorrow, they'll get two legs of a semifinal, and then they'll get a final. Stefan will, Stefan's already played, I think, in three cup matches this year, uh, uh, three or four cup matches. So he'll get like three or four more games. Spent. He'll get all the FA Cup matches. So he'll end up getting like 15 games by the end of the season. Um, but and then I get enough, though. Summer. Um, yeah. That's the, you know, actually it might be enough when you consider how, how condensed the season is this year. Now, next season, if he only gets 15 games when it's a normal August to, to, to May season, that's not enough. But this year, when you consider how compressing the season really started in late September, it, it might be, especially when you consider he's going to get these games for the U.S. in between. Um, but, yeah, it is a bit of a concern, right? And, and I don't see Ed Erson uh, being beat. Yeah. Although the other thing I have to say is that Harrison, because of the way he plays, has had an injury history. So what we saw from, from Manchester City each of the last few years, it hasn't happened yet this year, unfortunately for Stefan. Might happen, might happen as soon as Boxing Day. But uh, Ederson will always get hurt at some point. So the backup goalkeeper, which was either Murat or Claudio Bravo, always got a really caballero one year, uh, got, uh, got games. You know, they get like four or five league games, but they would still get that. Now, if Stefan gets the four or five league games on top of the 15 cup matches, well, now we're talking about a kind of a different scenario, but that counts on someone getting hurt, which hasn't happened yet. 
and you don't want to be in that position either, right, where you're counting on someone getting hurt. Um, this having been said, Stefan played uh, uh, with Loans of Fortuna just dwarf last year, uh, got 30-some-odd games. They got relegated, unfortunately, um, not because of him. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's also um, probably getting a lot of high-level high level training every day. But, so we'll see. Uh, my concern about Stefan, though, is his reading of crosses, his reading of uh, – uh, of uh, uh, of the play as it comes in front of, uh, comes to him, you know his timing for coming off his line. Um, these are all things uh, that I saw Brad Guzan get better at throughout his career. I remember in 2007, 2008, um, that time period when Bradley. Would, would play Howard. You remember this period, Daniel, where Bradley would play Tim Howard in the first half of friendlies and Brad Guzan in the yep. second half. Um, yep. And I was even at some of those matches where that happened, uh, including one in, in, at Wembley, um, where <laughs> effectively, you know, you would have Guzan making very strange decisions compared to what we had seen from Howard in the first half. By the time Jurgen Klinsmann was the manager and was kind of alternating between those two guys, I thought Guzan was making better decisions than Howard even sometimes. And Guzan wasn't playing regularly. Remember, um, Guzan, for some reason, I don't know who his agent is and why his agent did this, but for some reason he signed with Aston Villa. Left Chivas USA signed with Aston Villa, which looked great at the time. And then two weeks later, Aston Villa signed Brad Friedel. Now, there was no question who was going to start. And so Guzan sat on the bench for four years behind Friedel until Friedel moved to Tottenham. Um, or three years, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, three years he sat on the bench. No, it may have been four years. Right. He, it was three or four seasons. Guzan, and one year he got loaned out, right, but the other three years he sat on the bench. But yet still, sitting on the bench behind Brad Friedel, who also was an American, so probably helped him, his game improved, even though he, wasn't, he was only playing in cup matches. It was the same thing as, uh, as Stefan. Um, they, were, they were usually in the UEFA Cup or Europa League, so he would play in those games. Um, and then they got to the, I think they got to the final one year of uh, the League Cup. Although, if I remember correctly, Martin O'Neill, even though Guzan had played all the cup matches in the final, he put Friedel in because <laughs> they were trying to win the final, which was really, uh, I mean, I don't like that when a keeper takes you the whole way and then you switch. But you, you went with his number one guy and they ended up losing in, in, in penalties, actually. Um, but um, you can improve. So, Stefan maybe will improve just by virtue of being in training at Manchester City and behind Anderson. Um, but then, you know, even this conversation, Stefan, Corvath, who's your number three keeper? Who's competing for that third spot? And that's the question right there, isn't it? We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't really don't know. It's always, yeah, Hamid's always on people's minds. Um, obviously, uh, why am I blanking out on his name from New England? Is is Turner has had a yeah yeah he's obviously fairly good. I mean I I still think um, there there's some other good keepers in MLS. Uh, all uh, I mean I still think uh, and I don't know why for years he never really got the look. So I was still thought Luis Robles Robles was a was worthy of uh, he was definitely more worthy of looks than Sean Johnson in my opinion. But um, but even guys like Tim Melia who I really liked and. Uh, um, why am I forgetting the former San Jose keeper who I really like? Not Joe Cannon, more recently than that. 
God, the years are running into one another, Daniel. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting guys' <laughs> names, but um, uh, uh, San Jose had a good team a couple years ago. It was good. No, no, not Evan Bush. Um, this guy was good with his feet too. I can't remember why I'm forgetting right. his name. And it wasn't Joe Cannon. It was more recently than Joe Cannon. Um, right, but, right. Um, but obviously, you know, uh, like I mentioned, Tim Melia was a guy I liked, and he never really got um, many looks with the national. I know, fair So. Yeah, he never got yeah. back with him either, yeah. Uh, David Bingham, uh, Bingham is yeah. the guy I'm thinking of with San Jose. I like David him Bingham, a lot. yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like yeah. him a lot. I thought he was actually a guy that could compete maybe um, for, for a spot on a World Cup roster, Copa America roster, World Cup roster, but he, he never really got the looks either. So I, I think now we're looking more for keepers who play with their feet, which is, um, which is the way things are going. Now, you see in MLS, more and more teams are using foreign player spots on keepers. That's also a sign that the level of American keeper is not as high as it used to be. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know who that number three guy is. Um, I, and, and it's funny, we're talking about all these American players in Europe, all these guys playing well, the McKinney's and the Reynas and the Getz and, 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 and uh, Tyler Adams, uh, Anthony Robinson, and we, we're not talking about any goalkeepers. So... I know. We, we have the big question. See, here's the thing. We don't have many goalkeepers. Exactly. See, here's the thing. I mean, now, if I'm going to go, you know, blatantly, you know, biased, I probably will. Now, I don't know if, uh, if he did make that switch uh, into the Irish national team or Republic of Ireland national team, but I, sometimes I like to think Ryan Mara would be uh, an excellent choice. Yeah, that'd choice. be another good one. Uh, be a goalkeeper for us. Now, like I said before, I don't know if he did officially – make that switch to the Irish national team or not. As I remember, he was, he wants to be a part of the thing, but you know, it took a long time for him to wait for his uh, position to be taken. So Luis Robos can move out. But the point is, is that I think Ryan Mara, you know, if he has not made that switch to uh, Republic of Ireland, I think he'd be a great pick to uh, maybe get an opportunity. Yeah, no, he's definitely, he's definitely a guy we have to look at. I think for Halter has to use the gold cup. What I would do in the Gold Cup is not take Stefan or Horvath. You know, those are two of your three goalkeepers no. if, if they're fit. So, and then you take three of these guys from MLS and you let them compete and you figure out who that third keeper yep. is. Because um, obviously, exactly. you know, the chances that you're going to rely on this guy are not very high, but you need to have a third right. keeper. And you have to test how they are in the dressing room too. I mean, I think – one of the things that Ruth Serena always felt like, um, we, we saw it twice with, 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 with picking that last guy for a World Cup side. So Ruth Serena admitted right. he took Brian Chin to the 2006 World Cup because he got along with all the players. And that seems to have been part exactly. of the consideration, or we thought was part of the consideration for why Jurgen Klinsmann took Brad Davis. Um, really surprised Brad Davis himself getting the call to go to, go to Brazil. Um, but then he started him in a match, which really, um, I, I think it was cause that killer left foot. I think Klinsman thought maybe we'll get a, a free kick and, and Davis put a, put a shot on target with that left foot. You never know what can happen. Um, but, yeah, sometimes you're looking at, and especially in this case with the third keeper, I think you're looking at who gets along with everyone else on the team. Mickey Raimondo got along with everybody else. So, um, you know, that's another guy when you think about it. I mean, think about if he had been another nationality or if he had been a little younger, how many more caps he would have. 
Um, I say that especially about Jurgen Sommer. He's the one who, especially in my mind, stands out as this exceptional keeper uh, that the U.S. produced and played most of his career actually in England. Um, and just never uh, – was just playing at the wrong time. We had Keller and we had uh, Friedel. And, um, yep. and in particular, you know, Keller was a very – exceptional keeper for the U.S.'s level at the time. I mean, I think um, Friedel was more of a uh, um, more of a settled situation keeper. I mean, I think he would have probably been, I think he was overall a better keeper than Keller and better at the club mm-hmm. level. And you know, he's, he's got legendary status in the Premier League. He's one of the few um, non-British players or non-European players that has that status. But he... Um, I think for a team like the U.S. where we had all kinds of guys coming in, coming out, our count number wasn't very good. I just think uh, maybe Keller was the better, better guy, better, better attitude, better, you know, better fit. But uh, we don't have either guy now. We don't have a keeper of either guy's level. So it's not even and not a guy of Tim Howard's level either. You know, I'm seeing Tim Howard every weekend on NBC analyzing the Premier League. <laughs> um, I never thought I'd see that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm missing Kyle Martino a lot on those broadcasts, but um, I uh, I never thought that we uh, would be in this position where we didn't have another Howard or we didn't have another Keller, or we didn't have another Friedel because uh, or Mio or, or whoever you're in somewhere because they just kept coming, right? We had one yep. really good keeper after another, and then now it's uh, this is why you see so many of the uh, top MLS coaches going out and getting foreign keepers and and and. Uh, and while uh, they spend, uh, while there are more and more American field players that are excelling. So it's just a strange time, a different time. Yeah, it really is. It's just unbelievable what we got in front of us and how it's going to work out and everything. But uh, the point is, is that we all hope that, um, you know, there's going to be, we know there'll be some successes. There will be some heartaches depending on what happens uh, and how they qualify and, uh, how they win certain trophies or qualify for the World Cup. And let's not forget, uh, they still have to perform a qualifying tournament uh, for the Olympics. They still have to do a qualifying yep. tournament through CONCACAF to get into uh, the Under-20 World Cup. And hopefully we can get that taken care of uh, as quickly as possible. And then we have to wait and see what happens with this Nations League and CONCACAF and, of course, the Gold Cup in July. And then uh, the start of World Cup qualifying is going to come heavy and hard and fast. So I think we really have to be aware of what's going to happen uh, for this national team. And, you know, look, one, two, I would say this, th- these are the most important tournaments I think we have to worry about. Obviously, it's the Olympics. We have to qualify for the Olympics. There's no doubt about that. They have to qualify, qualify for the Olympics. Um, qualifying for the World Cup is also a must. So, I mean, for the Nations League, it's, it's a nice thing to have. I don't think that'll be that important, but you never know if you're going to take on Mexico in the final. We'll have to wait and see for about that. And then, of course, the Gold Cup will come in July. Maybe you use that to give other players an opportunity to maybe qualify for the World Cup qualifying rosters, whatever has to happen, because you're just going to have to find a way to mix and match some of these players with the regulars that are coming out of Europe and out of MLS. Um, and once again, Kardec, uh, you're going to have to have players coming over that you think are that should be finished with the national team, but you're going to need them because you're going to have to give some of these players some rest. I don't think you can use them as a uh, as a substitute 
in like let's say you got uh, three games in September, you got to play your starters in the first game, and then you have to give some of them a rest in the second game and let somebody else go in. Maybe there's 15 minutes left, and you throw them into the second match just for the heck of it. But other than that, uh, this is going to be huge for Burhalter to manage and give minutes at the same time. Yeah, I agree, and, and I think he's just going to have to be, be disciplined with the rotation and, and, and understand uh, you're on a thin leash in, in terms of potentially wearing some of these players down and wearing them out. Yeah, I agree with you completely. All right, Cardick, thank you for joining me tonight. I will talk to you next year. Happy holidays to you and your family, and remain safe, remain wearing your mask, and stay strong and vigilant, my friend, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get these vaccines in our systems and we'll be ready to go. Yep, same to you, Daniel. Stay safe. Happy holidays, and, and we'll do this again next year. It's going to be a big year. Oh, it's going to be a huge year. Thanks again, Cardick. Thank you. All right, Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk as we previewed the U.S. soccer competition calendar for 2021. It'll be exciting and fun, and we're going to see what Greg Berhalter, how he'll manage these players, their minutes, their opportunities. Um, you know, this has been a strange year for all of us, including myself. Um, it's been really hard to handle these things, uh, you know, with different shows not being produced because of the pandemic, not a regular U.S. soccer season, whether it's a national team game or an American soccer club match. Um, It's been very difficult for all of us, but I will say this. I will say this. We hope that when 2021 comes, that everyone will be vaccinated. We're all going to be much better and everything's going to be fine. As always, I want to thank all my guests for coming on this show. And we got really one more show left, which will be the CONCACAF Champions League Finals post-game show. That will be, the match will start tomorrow night at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and then right afterwards post-game with both Araceli Villanueva and John Jagu, LAFC hosting, excuse me, taking on Tigres at Explore Stadium in Orlando, Florida. I have so many names to thank, and it's going to be too long to thank them, but still, though, thank you for being a part of this show. You know who you are, and I appreciate it. Two-week break is ready after tomorrow night. Take care, everybody. This is Daniel Feuerstein. The Feuerstein's Fire, American Soccer Show, season 2020 is in the books. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight, and as always, please enjoy your football. After tomorrow night's Champions League match between LAFC and Tigres, we say goodbye, good night, and farewell to the 2020 season. Have a good night. Take care. So long. Happy holidays to all of you. Be careful. Be safe. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now. Good night, everybody.